Bridget. And this is Emily. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today, trigger warning, we're talking about the Me Too campaign and sexual assault. So if that's something that's tough for you, just know that's what this episode is all about. Again. Again. This is our third episode around Me Too and what feels like a reckoning for powerful men who are creeps. And you know what? I love today's episode because instead of chronicling all the men who've been outed as perverts and creeps and who've hopefully gone down in flames, today is about positive, proactive systemic change that is being advocated for on behalf of women from all walks of life. And so today, while we are talking about Me Too again, this is a different take on it. And it really, it got me excited about the potential for 2018 to really be a time of proactive advocacy and change on this issue. Totally. So just to level set where we're at in terms of Me Too, a few new creeps have been outed. This is always going to be an abbreviated list because the list is ever-growing. Um, you may have seen some new industries on that list. Mario Batali, the world-renowned chef, was outed as a creep. And in his email about said allegations, what else, other than an apology, what else did he include, he Emily? He included a recipe that was, like, side-by-side side with his assault apology. Yeah, basically, he said, listen, these allegations happen. I'm sorry, I'm stepping down. P.S. If you want a recipe for cinnamon rolls made from pizza dough... <laughs> Here's a crowd pleaser. Uh, I, I didn't think it could get any better than Louis C.K.'s non-apology, but that really takes the cake, one oh, might say. takes the cinnamon roll. <laughs> yeah. Alongside Batali, we had Danny Masterson, who was the guy from that 70s show. Women have long accused him of rape, and Netflix just recently announced that he would be off the show The Ranch. This has kind of been a long time coming for him. I know that there have been allegations for a long time. And people really holding Netflix's feet to the fire on accountability. So this has sort of been a long time coming. In addition to that, in the politics world, John Conyers also taken down by these allegations. And his office was the first office that I interned in as a young intern on the House Judiciary Committee. I lasted two weeks. The Hill was not for me. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, very previously well-respected, renowned advocate, civil rights leader, uh, Rep. John Conyers going down. And he did not go down without a fight. He did not. Another sort of update to the initial person who seemed to sort of trigger all of this, actress Selma Hayek on December 12th wrote a really powerful and compelling op-ed in the New York Times about her relationship with Harvey Weinstein and really how this man had controlled her for a very long time. She described desperately wanting to produce a film about the Mexican muralist Frida Kahlo and being so delighted when Weinstein became attached to the project. But later, he began propositioning her. She writes, Little did I know it would be my turn to say no. No to opening the door to him at all hours of the night, hotel after hotel, location after location, where he would show up unexpectedly, including one location during a movie where he wasn't even involved with. No to me taking a shower with him. The range of his persuasion tactics went from sweet-talking me that one time when, in an attack of fury, he said these terrifying words, I will kill you, don't think I can't. It's pretty nauseating. She goes on to talk about how... He almost stripped her from the Frida project that she had been so excited to work on. And the only way that she could get him to not do that was by agreeing to film a full frontal nude scene with another woman, which is... That is so creepy and so gross and so 
indicative of the kind of like limitless power that this man wielded over women in Hollywood. And it was brave of her. Some might even say unnecessary to come out with such a powerful, compelling, vulnerable piece, even after he'd already been taken down in a lot of ways. You know, she didn't have to do that. And to me, that speaks even further to her character of wanting to make sure that, you know, despite whatever personal reputation hits she might take, she wanted to add her voice to the chorus of women asking for justice and retribution. And I think it's indicative of Hollywood women really leading this conversation, which is an uncomfortable position because we know it's not Hollywood women alone who have to deal with sexual assault, predatory bosses, power being wielded over your own body. And yet they have taken the mantle of leadership in terms of using their influence, using their platforms, and now using their financial privilege to bridge that divide between women with extreme financial privilege facing sexual assault in their workplaces and women who are working class and, and dealing with the same kind of bullshit that we have in far too many cases all dealt with. Exactly. On January 1st of this new year, a group of prominent women in the entertainment industry launched Time's Up, an initiative to combat sexual misconduct, not just in Hollywood, but in other industries too. These 300 actresses, agents, writers, directors, producers, and entertainment executives really are getting together this network where they can say, hey, our industry has this problem. We want to focus on it, but we want to help other women who might not have our access, our privilege, our power, our money. We want to make sure those women are covered, too. Exactly. So they've got an array of initiatives that are part of the hashtag Time's Up effort that really is setting out to fight systemic sexual harassment in Hollywood and in blue-collar workplaces nationwide. Their website, timesupnow.com, describes it as a movement powered by women that addresses systemic inequality and injustice in the workplace that has kept underrepresented groups from reaching their full potential. They're going to partner with leading advocates for equality and safety to improve laws, employment agreements, and corporate policies. And finally, and arguably most importantly, they're aiming to enable more women and men to access legal resources to hold wrongdoers accountable. This movement was announced January 1st with an impassioned pledge of support for working class women and an open letter signed by hundreds of women in show business, many of them, you know, Hollywood A-listers. The letter also ran as a full page ad in both the New York Times and La Opinion, a Spanish language newsletter. And so we're talking folks like Shonda Rhimes, like Reese Witherspoon, like Meryl Streep. Not only did they all sign on to this impassioned letter, but they also want other A-listers to get involved. They're calling for all these famous Hollywood elites to all wear black to the Golden Globes to symbolize their commitment to combating sexual harassment in all its forms across industries. And our favorite part of this initiative is that it explicitly includes marginalized women at the forefront. So right now, we know that in the wake of the Me Too movement, a lot of the critiques that have been levied their way have to do with the fact that these are centered on Hollywood A-listers. Hollywood A-listers who were still victimized and fearful of of what they had to lose in speaking out, but still women with a lot more privilege going for them than the average blue-collar worker. 
Attorney Tina Chen, who was the former assistant to President Barack Obama and chief of staff for First Lady Michelle Obama, is spearheading the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund, which is administered by, it's a partnership with, really, the National Women's Law Center's Legal Network for Gender Equity. And that's why we are so excited to dive more into how important this initiative is at making legal resources available to women from all walks of life who need support in speaking out against cultures of assault and harassment at work. We're going to dive more into that after this quick break. And we're back. And we are so thrilled to be joined today by the National Women's Law Center's Sunu Chandi, the National Women's Law Center legal director. Sunu joins the National Women's Law Center from the Civil Rights Division of HHS and the EEOC before that, which if you listen to the show, you know we talk about a lot. She's an expert on legal issues facing women in the workplace, including sexual harassment. She's been an integral part of getting the legal network for gender equity off the ground. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I think it's such an exciting time to look back at the Me Too momentum. And let's talk about Time's Up. Let's talk about this movement to be proactive about providing solutions on a systemic level so that we don't have to watch the headlines every single week of who's being called out as a pervert now. (laughs) I think this is a much more positive framing of what are we doing to curb this systemic problem? So what is Time's Up all about, Sunu? Okay, so we are really excited that um, a group of celebrities in Hollywood decided to pool their funds and look at how they can financially support legally fighting back by low-wage women and women across a number of workplaces who are facing sexual harassment and retaliation in connection with harassment. So what that means is the Legal Network for Gender Equity, which the National Women's Law Center launched in October, has additional support um, to get more lawyers to take on these cases. So as you may know, to bring litigation can often be expensive, both for attorney time and also all the different pieces that go into litigation, such as court fees, paying for depositions, or the various steps that happen before a trial. And when a lawyer takes a case, you're not sure if it's a case that will be maybe settled or resolved within a few weeks or months or a case that could take a few years. And so it's financially risky for lawyers to take on sexual harassment cases or any sort of workplace civil rights cases. So what this Time's Up Fund is, is these Hollywood celebrities have come together and pooled significant amounts of money so that women in all different workplaces can have more access to fighting back against sexual harassment. On the National Women's Law Center's website, um, there's a place to sign up as lawyers who want to take part in this work and also uh, for individuals who are seeking legal help. They can also sign up and they'll receive the names of about three lawyers and then they can follow up to contact them for a free initial consultation. And then what the fund will be used to is to support the cases that are actually taken up. Um, to go forward through litigation. So ultimately, this is a way that women in low-wage workplaces will have some financial and legal support in fighting back against sex harassment. I think that's so, so critical to what you're doing. I know one of the biggest criticisms that folks made with Me Too was that it seemed to center 
Hollywood A-listers who you think might already be coming from a place of privilege when we know sexual harassment and sexual misconduct impacts all of us, whether you're privileged, whether you're marginalized. In fact, if you're a marginalized person, you, you're probably more likely to be facing these issues. And so, you know, you had these women who are not Hollywood A-listers, like the 700,000 female farm workers who penned an open letter about harassment in November, or these women who worked for Ford Motor Company on the floor at these car plants who also spoke up about harassment. I love that what you're doing with Time's Up is really centering all different kinds of women's experiences and giving all of these different kinds of women from different backgrounds access to legal services so they can really speak up and get justice. So, And it really just shows that this movement is not about just Hollywood A-listers. It's about all of us. That's exactly right. And, you know, on one level, um, individuals of, of all genders and women, of course, have failed, faced sexual harassment across industries. So from the financial industry, the tech industry, actresses, and also the group that this fund is supposed to support, which is hotel workers, restaurant workers, and workers in low-wage work who are even more unable to bring these cases forward, both because maybe they don't know who to contact, who to trust, and also this um, barrier of having to pay for litigation. So this um, legal network for gender equity with Time's Up is a really wonderful pairing because we have attorneys who have said we want to take on sexual harassment cases, and we also have some funds to help support those cases. So both of these are really critical and needed by women in low-wage work who are facing sexual harassment or retaliation. Yeah, $13 million in funds, which is no small achievement already, which is really something to be proud of and is going to help make the traditional systems of labor power something that's now accessible to low-wage workers. And that's that's my question. In, in all of this, especially when I was listening to The Daily, the New York Times podcast about the Ford Motor Company and the harassment that women continued to face decades after litigation was brought against the company, mm-hmm. what is the role for labor in this movement? Because... We are, we're big labor activists here, Bridget and I. We sort of came up in the labor movement and yet we're also millennials who don't expect to ever have a pension or, mm. you know, we always turn to the EEOC because, uh, job site committees seem to be one, one alternative to, uh, what used to be a traditional labor infrastructure that could help protect women in this case. So where do you see this solution? fitting in? And is it filling a gap? Is it filling a void that was once occupied by a stronger labor movement? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because we definitely see um, labor unions as an important partner. I mean, we can look and see that there are more sort of women and people of color are, are, are largely reflected in especially public sector unions. And there are issues that have come up where we have worked with unions to take up issues of discrimination. I think this is an area where worker centers, labor unions, individual workers all need to take this up. It's going to take all of us. There are definitely moments in time where labor unions have taken up um, sort of pay equity or discrimination or harassment faced by people of color or have provided benefits to LGBT workers and have done things to support sort of progressive movements and causes. So I think that labor unions are definitely part of the solution and need to be challenged to continue to be part of the solution. Also, 
There are many worker centers who serve this role too, Mm -hmm. but there are also many, many workplaces where there aren't unions and individual workers are sort of feel alone in this taking up the the mantle. And so that I think is a time when having a lawyer advocate to guide you and advise you is even more critical. And, you know, anyone can contact the legal network, whether that person has a union there or not. I think if there's a union there or if there are some state protections um, against termination, that gives individuals that much more strength in coming forward to file any sort of claim or take part in any sort of um, sexual harassment complaint. Because without the union there or without other local civil rights protections or labor protections, it's a risk. It's always a risk. And that's why retaliation is also part of what we're looking at in sexual harassment cases, but also anything negative that happens to a worker for coming forward counts could count as retaliation. And the standard is quite broad. Um, so it doesn't have to be a termination. It could be you're losing clients or losing hours or losing shifts. Any of those things could be seen as retaliation for coming forward. Yeah, I'm just really curious, what has retaliation looked like? Because I think of retaliation as you lost your job, but you just mentioned yep. some things that I never even occurred to me, losing clients, getting bad mouths around town. What kind of forms can retaliation take in a sexual harassment situation? And you know what, to add to that, can we back up for one second and explain why is that legally important? So how are workers protected from retaliation? What are the kinds of punitive um, responses that you can take for companies who are penalizing women who are speaking out and, and making their voices heard through legal action. Sure. So retaliation can take many, many forms. And fortunately, the law has evolved to recognize that. And the Supreme Court has recognized that what retaliation means in each workplace depends on what's valued in that workplace. So for many years at EEOC, I litigated a case um, in the fast food industry. And re- what retaliation looked like in that industry was you always had to clean the bathroom. In another workplace, retaliation could be you don't get invited to lunch with a client. So it could be anything that sort of significantly impacts you in the workplace. It could also be things beyond the workplace. We, there's also a trend where individuals are sued and defamation claims are brought against individuals after they bring a sexual harassment case. That's, could, that could be a form of retaliation. So we're clear it's illegal. It can strengthen your case as someone who's been harassed in the workplace if you can show evidence that you've been retaliated against because you've sought justice. Is that right? Absolutely. So what you need to do to have a retaliation claim, which... Um, interestingly, it's often easier to prove because of the timing. So what retaliation claim looks like is you take a protected activity, which could be going to HR, it could be going to an EEOC or another agency, it could be filing a case in court, but it doesn't have to be anything that formal. It could be standing up and bringing an internal complaint. You've done something to assert your rights under the law, right? And in response, the, the employer has notice of that and takes some negative action against you. It's quite a simple complaint because you just have to show a protected activity or opposing discrimination in some way. The employer has noticed that you took that action and does something sort of significant that's negative against you. 
Something I'm really struck by in this program is the fact that we had a Walmart employee on the show a couple of months back. And one of the things that she talked about was that as low-wage workers, when you don't have a union, you can often feel very alone when you're embarking on, whether it's a, a labor dispute, a fair pay dispute, a sexual harassment dispute, any of those things. And so that they've kind of found these ways around them. They have these apps where they can get information about labor laws and fair fair pay practices so that if something happens on the job, they don't feel alone. And mm-hmm. so I'm just sort of struck by the idea that these kind of initiatives are making people who otherwise might feel alone, vulnerable, powerless, marginalized, giving them access to something that's like a network. If you were going through something like this, you might not have the first idea about who to contact, let alone how to go through this. And you feel like you're doing it alone and that it's so powerful to give people just even that feeling of a community of people who have your back and can guide you through what probably could be a really scary and intense process. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. I mean, many of us who are employment or civil rights lawyers know that we frequently get calls from friends, friends of friends, relatives, et cetera, for this very information. So most of us have this sort of, here's the three firms in New York, or here's the three firms in DC, that this is basically bringing this to scale, where you don't have to have a friend or a relative who knows a lawyer. You can actually sign up on this and get this information, and it makes it more readily available to a larger group of women. And, and other individuals. How many times have we seen women helping other women in these kinds of like whisper networks yeah. or whisper campaigns where it's like, oh, I have a friend of a friend who can help you. Or like, right. here's a number from my neighbor who helps me and you're in the same jam that I was in. I love the idea of bringing that to scale, like you said, yeah. and having it be something that we just have access to. It doesn't have to be a friend of a friend slipping you with a business card or a phone number yeah. or a name of someone who can get you some help. I love how it's, in this case, it's Reese Witherspoon helping you out. It's Shonda Rhimes, it's Meryl Streep, Steven Spielberg, these major donors who are in the Hollywood activist elite who have already lended their platforms and now are opening up their wallets to make sure that you don't need to be the kind of, uh, in the kind of privileged position of having a friend who is a lawyer or knowing someone in your family who's a lawyer and instead making this accessible to working class women really bridges that divide that the Me Too movement could have lent itself to, which is that divide in class experience of the same kind of harassment, which is in fact quite universal. And that's just it. I think that it took this moment for these Hollywood celebrities to see when they faced this issue, they were scared to come forward. Despite their privilege, their wealth, and their access to resources, they were still scared to come forward in many instances. How much more scary is it for someone without those marks of privilege? Absolutely. And I want to talk also about one of the common practices that we've seen employers put into place that can make it even scarier these days, which are non-disclosure agreements. After this quick break and a word from our sponsors, we'll be right back after this. And we are back and we are speaking with Sunu Chandi, the National Women's Law Center's legal director, all about this new initiative in response to the Me Too movement 
launched just at the start of this brand new year, the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund. Thank you so much for being here, Sunu. Sure. So we were at the break talking a little bit about some of the systematic ways in which some employers make it even scarier to make your voice heard. And we alluded to this in the first episode we covered here on the Me Too movement at Stuff Mom Never Told You, and that is this idea of non-disclosure agreements being something a lot of employers are having new hires sign as a condition of getting the job. Can you tell us about what that practice is and why it can be so problematic and where Time's Up really stands on that issue? Sure. So the National Women's Law Center supports movements to increase transparency about issues of sexual harassment as they come up in a workplace so that individuals facing these circumstances find each other and fight back together. So we would oppose sort of employment agreements that upfront require employees to sign away their rights to bring civil rights claims or are forced to arbitrate these sorts of claims or are forced to keep silent about issues that may come up in the workplace. So upfront sort of requiring non-disclosure as a part of taking a job is not something that we would support. And we would support greater transparency in these matters. Honestly, I have found that in looking into a lot of these cases, transparency is really the name of the game that, you know, having that ability to, you know, tell your story or whatever it is you need to do is important and that you it's something that you shouldn't just give away, you know, without thinking about it. That's right. And I think that what gets tricky is that sometimes this has to be balanced at the time of a settlement. And we want to make sure that the power is always in the hands of the individual who went through the sexual harassment. And perhaps that's something that could be negotiated at the time of a resolution. But this is not something um, that we would support employers requiring workers to sign at the start of employment. That's a really important point. I'm glad that you added that. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit, I'm sure that some of our listeners out there or are lawyers and are thinking, gee, I am fired up. I am pissed off. I want to get involved. <laughs> How can they do that? How can they get involved? That would be wonderful. We are excited to welcome more lawyers as part of the Legal Network for Gender Equity. And if you go to the National Women's Law Center website, you will see a page for the Legal Network for Gender Equity. And there's a box for attorneys. And there's a form that you fill out. You can provide your information, your bar membership, and which areas that you are interested in. And then you'll be on our list. And we will give your name to individuals who are looking for help with sex discrimination cases. So please, please do sign up on our website. Awesome. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I have one last kind of curveball question for you. I hope it's okay. (laughs) I noticed that you have an MFA in creative writing and quite an extensive background in poetry. Have you found that to be something that's been useful in this awesome work for social change that you've been fighting for as a lawyer? Oh, I love that question because it's really all one vision. I'm lucky enough to be on the board of an organization called Split This Rock. And I encourage you to look look them up. This is separate from my work at the National Women's Law Center, of course. And it's a social justice poetry organization. And for me, fighting back in terms of the culture change, in terms of bringing forward everyone's voice that's missing from society is something that poetry does and also something that the law does. Can I ask you to share with us a little bit of that poem or that poem altogether, if you've got it handy? 
Um, sure. This poem is called A Good Job for SK, dedicated to Samira and her dad for fighting back in 1999. My father gave me some good advice, she said, as we were chatting during the break where we sat preparing her to take the stand. SK, with her head covering and green daily wear salvar kameez, she continued, he told me if I study hard for my GED and get into college and do well, then I can get a good job. And in a good job, things like this don't happen to girls. I can get a job where men don't grab girls and try to kiss them in the basement of the store. Upon hearing this, my eyes felt sad and my mind was unsure whether to break this girl's delusion, whether to tell her that men try to grab and kiss women in all kinds of good jobs. Women in million-dollar jobs speak to me about presidents of companies grabbing them and worse. I was unsure whether to explain that men in corporate positions think themselves even more powerful than men who are supervisors of six little stores. How to explain the complexities of human resources policies and the legal ramifications of not having any. Yes, maybe in corporate jobs they have pieces of paper explaining sexual harassment, but people still come to us about men grabbing them and kissing them, no matter how much money they make in their good jobs. Instead, I told her simply, yeah, in some offices it's better than others, and in some offices it's better than in little stores, and you should study hard for your GED and go to college, and you should get a good job. We continued to prepare her testimony about how many times her manager said, I love you, and how many times he said, you have to go out with me or I'll fire you. She told him, you know we're both Muslims. You know this is wrong in our culture. Please stop it. You know this is wrong. We went over her testimony of how many times he touched her shoulders, how many times he grabbed her hands, how many times he tried to grab her waist in the basement, and how many times he tried to kiss her. We prepared her testimony as he dreamed of a better job. And I never told her. I never said, I am so sorry, darling, to inform you that your lovely father is wrong. Studying hard will not make the difference. Going to college will not save you. A good job cannot protect you. These evil men who are usually protected by the dead silence in our communities, but not this time. By the time this is over, these six stores will learn something about sexual harassment and will pay a monetary settlement to you. An uncle manager man will get some training and some counseling, and we will carry forward a small hope that this will be his last victim so that any job in any job, good or bad, more of us might be safe. Oh my God. <laughs> that was such an incredible combination. Oh gosh. That was, that, that got of me. Your strengths. That was beautiful. It's, it's, Thank it's, you. I mean, I, I have chills. Yeah. It's, it's exactly what you spoke to that intersection of where HR policy, law, poetry, and culture kind of all come to a head and you just in you just captured that in such a powerful powerful way um that was really beautiful i really feel so blessed that you shared that with well, us that, and our listeners now you have me on a roll i have a very short poem on this thing <laughs> no let's hear it another job awesome let's do it okay holiday party 2009 Lovely restaurant basement holiday lunch with colleagues. Federal government workers pay for ourselves. Pasta, salmon, chocolate cake. I stare down at my 10-year certificate and pin my hopes on some other future. Civil rights advocacy and pensions, delightful, but still. Former director walks by and says to sole male attorney sitting with us, three. 
not once but twice. You got yourself three pretty ladies there with you. You got yourself three whole ladies to yourself. How is it guy talk if we are right here, smart and invisible? The first time quiet, the second I say it to the new male colleague, laughing, leave it to him to be consistently inappropriate. Sports talk to begin every staff meeting is one thing, but seeing three quote-unquote lady senior trial attorneys as only ladies, as accessories, another altogether. Even I can laugh at holiday jokes, but later just check who gets promoted. Mm. Laughing while cringing among smart, sexist, once handsome men is in all females' job descriptions. If you are lucky, that is the extent of it. Damn. Damn, Sunu. You are, first of all, you have a gift. Yeah. <laughs> You're so good at poems. Thank oh, you. man. But again, it's it's this powerful medium where you can tell these stories. In I don't think there's a woman working that would hear that poem and not identify mm. with it. Where right. be, being, like, we did an episode all around sexism and sexual harassment in the technology sector. And they we, what came up so often was this idea that as women... It's not on our resume, but knowing how to laugh off a sexual harass, like something that's sexual harassment. flirtation. Right. Yeah. Knowing how to mitigate a sexual harasser's experiences so that you don't get fired or retaliated against where you giggle and you don't get, you know, your job's not going to be on the line. That's sort of a burden that for too long we've all had to carry mm-hmm. and that we've all had to sort of have this un, this untold, unwritten, thing in our job descriptions if we want to be successful. Yeah. And and it gets even more difficult because part of the standard, the legal standard for sexual harassment is showing that the behavior is unwelcome. Right. So, and and we know that likability matters in the workplace. So navigating that is like tap dancing on a tightrope. You can't it's hard to win. That's right. It's very much a rock and a hard place because If you don't say, stop, don't do this, this is bothering me, you run the risk of someone saying, oh, she was laughing, it was no big deal, like she was joking around too, right? Mm. But if you do say, stop, this is bothering me, this is not okay, all of a sudden, you are at risk for retaliation. Mm. You're not playing along. God forbid you should offend. Right? (laughs) Bruise someone's ego, too. Where I have to ask, where can folks learn more about Split This Rock? So Split This Rock is a wonderful social justice poetry organization. We are celebrating our 10th anniversary. I'm on the board. And you can go to splitthisrock.org. And I also really want to highlight the fact that we have a festival every two years, and it's coming up soon, April 19 to 21, here in Washington, D.C. And people come from around the country, and many sort of really notable social justice poets come from around the country, and it's not to be missed. And there's a sliding scale of cost to attend, and it's a three-day festival. So definitely encourage everyone to check it out at splitthisrock.org. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us and telling us all about the amazing work that you're doing with the National Women's Law Center and Time's Up, and for blessing our earbuds with your (laughs) gift of poetry. Well, that was a surprise question, but thanks for the opportunity to go in that direction, too. As I said, I think... 
getting our stories out there and fighting back takes a lot of different avenues and the law is definitely one and poetry is another. So thanks for talking to me about both of them. That was so incredible. I uh, did not see getting a, po- a couple of poems in this one, but you never know where these conversations <laughs> will take us. Listeners, we want to hear from you. What are you thinking about Time's Up? Are you so excited to see where it goes? Do you think it's going to be the reckoning that we're all hoping it will be? How do you think that these Hollywood celebrities wearing black will impact all of this? What are your thoughts on it? We want to hear from you. And we'll be tweeting along as the Golden Globes sort of make that public display of solidarity and support for Time's Up. So don't forget to tune in and tweet along with us at Mom Stuff Podcast. Hit us up on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. And as always, we want to hear from you, your stories, your motivation, how you are going to be a part of the Me Too movement and, and the Time's Up movement and saying enough is enough. It's time for systemic change. Send us your emails at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Thank you.